Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasters. And welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, um, this is kind of a curveball. I'm not going to introduce it as the curveball segment. The Cardinals are just the worst. Can't we agree? I mean, I feel like, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been disagreeing a lot about Pascal Siakam. You know, we've had some disagreements, some other disagreements of Marta Rosen. But I think one thing we can agree on is that the St. Louis Cardinals are the absolute worst. <laughs> Yeah, I just looked at the, the wild card standings earlier just to really put the final nail in the coffin. And I saw that nice little W17 streak next to the Cardinals. And it's like, of all teams, man, of all teams to go on a 17 win streak to clinch a wild card spot, it's got to be the Cardinals. It's got to be the Cardinals. Listen, <laughs> they're the worst. Caleb, I love you as a person. You are a dear friend. I hate your baseball team and everything they stand for. And I just hate how they're randomly good out of nowhere. They're going to get crushed. All jokes aside, they're going to get crushed by the Dodgers in the wild card game in all likelihood because the Dodgers or the Dodgers or the Giants. I think the Giants right now have 105 wins. They might win 110 games. And the Dodgers, I think, are at 103 and whatever. So there's a good chance they get absolutely curb stomped by the Dodgers in the wild card game and good riddance. But Dylan Hughes, I just want to say I'm sorry for your baseball team. You know, there's no apologies necessary because this is just who we are. This is this is the spirit we carry is you get hyped up a little bit in like July, maybe August if you're lucky, and then they crush you there's an injury or the pitching staff falls apart for no reason. It's always something. So, you know, this is, this is just life. And to put the the cherry on top, the Colts are 0-3. And Karis LeVert has a broken back. So life is just great, man. It's great. I think we'll save more of our uh, training camp news stuff for next week. Um, and we're going to be probably the only NBA podcast that's not discussing <laughs> The vaccine this week, and we, we oh might discuss God. it a little later, but it's kind of, I think this is just reeking of, we have nothing else to talk about right now. And so it's the topic du jour, obviously. Okay. I'll say this. If Kyrie doesn't play 41 games, and if Andrew Wiggins doesn't play 41 games this year, those are going to be huge stories. But until then, Dylan, I think it's just safe to operate under the assumption that they will be playing. 41 home games in their home cities this year. I hope that's the case, but I'm so sick of hearing about the vaccine from every different angle. I'm like, I'm shutting it out. If it becomes a problem, we'll, we'll talk about it. I pray to God that at least Kyrie gets it. Andrew Wiggins, whatever, you know, but Kyrie, listen, I know, you like to sit and think a lot, but like, just please, for the love of God, I'm so sick of hearing about the vaccine. Just do it. If Wiggins was this aggressive on the basketball court, he would he'd live up to his max contract. 
I, I haven't been reading much. I would love to know what the religious exemption even like what that could possibly mean. Is there a religion that does not prohibit that prohibits you from sticking things in your body? Like I, I don't know what that could possibly be about. I don't either. And I, there's no point in belaboring a discussion that's been had a lot of times by a lot of people. So we are going to move on <laughs> to our top 25. And again, we're going to, Kyrie is definitely in both of our top 25, seeing as how his name has not popped up at all the first couple of weeks of the pod. So we'll talk more about Kyrie. More developments will come by the time we get to our season previews, and this is probably a more prevalent topic. So for now, let's uh, go to our top 25 players in the NBA. We're going to try to zoom through the 25 through 11. We're not going to go like supersonic speed, but I want to kind of give the top 10 the reverence they deserve because they're the 10 best players in the league, and they deserve you know, to be treated as such. So I'm going to try to keep a good pace. If we don't, I apologize because Dylan and I both um, love to talk basketball. So Dylan, who is your 25th ranked 25th through 21st ranked players in the NBA? All right. So 25, we've got Zion. Uh, I'll, I'll do what you do and just name them all first. Next Trey young, 23, drew holiday, 22, bam, 21, Rudy Gobert. So this is kind of an interesting mix because I think I had to put Zion at the end because he hasn't really proven anything yet. Like when it really matters, like, and he hasn't had the chance to. So, but again, as we talked about last episode with some of the point guards, like you got to do something for me to really consider you in a higher spot. So that's why he's there. Obviously Trey young this postseason just, vaulted up the list. I don't know where he would have been before, but he proved himself as like an offensive hub that can win. And that's very easily a top 25 player. Um, Drew Holiday, again, awesome series, awesome postseason all around. I mean, there was a lot of offensive issues, but you expect them out of Drew. You expect him to have games where he shoots like three of 17. When he can lock down the other guys, other team's point guard, like that can win you a series and it, it pretty much did um, throughout the playoffs for them. So that's why he's there. Bam kind of the same thing from last year. I mean, just an awesome run to the finals. He's going to get to a point where he's just good at everything. Like when he's, when he can shoot all the way, if he ever gets to that point, he's going to be good at everything. He's a good score down low. He's a great passer, great defender. Like what else can you ask for? Um, and then Rudy Gobert, again, we touched on this last week with you talking about Gobert. He's just, I understand the playoff issues. And again, I, I'm starting, especially for this past year, I'm blaming the jazz team around him more for those problems than him. But like, he's the reason that they won as many games as they did, you know, like without him, they would have probably been like the level of the Warriors. You know, if you just put like Derek Favors in there all season, they're not even close to that good. So as much as we like to criticize Gobert and as much as he deserves it, he still has proven a ton in the league and he's one of the best, if not the best defensive player in the league. So it's I love examining where <laughs> the ranges we have these guys apart. Um, I thought you were going to be a little higher on BAM. We're only four spots, spots apart on BAM 
I mean, I have him at 26 in case you didn't remember. Dylan has him at 22. So we're not really that far apart on Bam, I'd say, like in the grand scheme. Like, you, I think you might object to some of the guys I have over him, but we'll, we'll get across that bridge when we get there. I lo- okay, I'll just say this. I love Bam. I love his game. You know, I'm a huge proponent of his passing. The offense just isn't there yet for me to put him. Like, he's, I'd say elite at defense one of the best defenders in the league but i don't know the top 25 you'll notice i have like one guy you consider to be a primary defensive player on the list and that's about it so i think that it's going to be interesting to see his career development because i'm expecting he'll improve on offense if he can ever get to the 23 point a game range i think i'll be really happy with this game and he's easy he'll easily be a top 20 player then i'm gonna guess he'll be a top 20 player for me by the time next season rolls like by the time we do this next year so i'll be curious to see where we end up that um that round so go bear again we i litigated this enough last week i don't need to discuss this trey i'm higher on than you um, I have him in the next tier, my 20 through 16. So we'll talk about him later. And then Zion, I have in my top 15. And he, you're right. Most of my guys on my top 25 have proven it in the playoffs or, you know, have limited success in their certain rounds. <clears throat> Luca. So I think that like Zion will kill once he gets to the playoffs. What he did last year at age 21 averaging 27 and seven on 61% shooting on that team with that set of circumstances. Like, yeah, it might be a little bit of a stretch to have him in the top 15, but just like, there's no one who can do what he does, even with his flaws. He has so many flaws and yeah, he's played practically the equivalent of one whole season, right? But he stayed healthy most of last season. He played 61 games out of 72. So he did his thing. The team around him just sucked. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Besides him and Ingram and Lonzo, there were not a whole lot of bright spots last year for the Pelicans. And I think that Zion's ability to get to the rim and just wreak havoc there is so good that I outweighed that <laughs> more than I outweighed some things for some other players on this list. Yeah, I'm fascinated to watch them this year. They're kind of one of my main teams to watch because they they got a lot better. Like, all the problems that we talked about last season are gone. They've got Devontae Graham now. They brought Josh Hart back, which was massive. Hopefully, he'll be at the two now, starting two. And then you've still got your two best players. And you got Valanciunas, who is an upgrade over Steven Adams on all fronts, basically. So... I think they're going to be really fun to watch. I think Zion is going to have a much easier time. And this is also like Devontae Graham could very easily be kind of like an off ball leader of a point guard. You know, you can give the ball to Ingram and Zion a ton and have them do what works for them best. And Graham and Hart can just kind of stand around and wait if they have to. So I'm I'm excited to watch him this year more. I think he's just going to continue to get better. And getting better than 27 points a game is, uh, like, best player in the league kind of territory. Right. And plus the stuff with um, him. You brought up the Jonas Valanciunas thing. I think the way that it's going to impact the Pelicans the most, who did the – okay, when Jonas was on the Grizzlies, who did he help the most? 
on defense on offense. Or on, on offense. Uh, probably Jaron Jackson. I would say. I was gonna say Ja. Okay. And I think you'll see where I'm going with this after I say that. Is that we saw Zion get handed point guard responsibilities last year, and he is going to run a lot more point this year. I would you would think. And with him running more point, I think Jonas will actually help him a lot in that regard because he's such a good role man. So if Zion can be point Zion and keep up, maintain the efficiency from last year, I think that the Pelicans could be a really dangerous. I think they're going to be a lot more dangerous offensively than they were last year anyway, just getting rid of Adams and Bledsoe. And I think that the spacing will be so much better where his game will expand, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, we talked about this a lot last year that what was so impressive about Zion was that he was getting to the rim and finishing despite having zero space. Like, there was a lot of times where he was taking two, three, even four guys on at once, and it wasn't because they were triple teaming. It's because there was they were just guarding their own guy, and they were all in the paint. And Zion was still finishing over those guys. Like, his leaping ability and his finesse around the rim is just so incredible. And having even more space, he's just going to be very difficult to stop. Indeed. And in the interest of time, let's go ahead and move on to my first five. So my first five are going to be, I have Carl Anthony Towns at 25. Um, I have Drew Holiday at 24. Chris Paul at 23. Jalen Brown at 22. I have Chris Middleton at 20. So I'll go through these one by one. We've talked about Towns last week. I think the offense is just transcendent. And I think what we saw when he was playing under Finch, I think is very troublesome for the league if he plays like that all year. Like he could give a lot of teams a lot of problems just the way he plays on offense. Yes, the defense is a concern, but I don't think it's not for his lack of trying. (laughs) It's just they haven't put him in a system where he's his strengths are, I guess, exacerbated is usually used in a negative tense where his strengths are amplified on defense. So I would be curious to see what they do on defense for him this year. Obviously drew is the best perimeter, like is the best guard defender in the league. It's not close. Um, What a tour de force he had in the playoffs. I'm probably lower on Chris Paul than some people are. I thought he had a really weird playoffs, really weird. I thought he was good for the Nuggets series and that was about it. Um, he had good stats in the last half of the Bucks series, but if you were watching the games, he was, they were completely, Drew was taking him out of the games and that totally threw the Suns out of their rhythm. And I think that if this isn't the same Chris Paul from a few years ago, this isn't the same Chris Paul in like 2018, 2017, that's fine. You know, that's age. He's still a great player. And the fact that he's still in the top 25 is a huge respect. I just, I'm a little lower on Chris Paul than I think some people are. Um, Jalen Brown, I'm really high on by contrast. I think he's a really great young player. He improved his scoring a lot last year and his defense is incredible. So he's kind of the two-way player. Like him and him and his teammate, Jason Tatum, are both incredible two-way players. So I think that that's kind of the reason why I have him so high is because in addition to the scoring, the defense is still, like even if his defense takes a step back, it's still a great defensive player. And then Middleton, Money Man Middleton, he was hitting shots, clutch shots all through the playoffs. He was just, he led the Bucks. I mean, first of all, when Giannis missed the rest of the Hawks series, he kept them afloat. Um, 
And he provided, like in the Sun series, he was a really clutch player in game seven against the Nets. He had a lot of clutch shots. So, Dylan, do you have any um, any nitpicks from my last five? Well, I had Holiday in about the same range. Towns and Brown, I just had a few spots back. And then Middleton and Chris Paul are my next tier. So, not not too far off. Not too far off. So, in the interest of that, let's go ahead and move on to your next five. Okay, so I guess this would be 20. I have Donovan and Mitchell. Again, this, this, you know, I talked about this a lot. I really want to see him consistently play well in the playoffs because I think it was his first two seasons he was terrible in the playoffs. Obviously, the bubble, he was awesome. And then this past year, he was kind of a mix but he was much better when he played with Mike Conley. So I'm just wondering, like, does he need Mike Conley to play well? You know, that's, and he didn't need him last year when he went off, but it just is kind of interesting to me Um, moving forward. I think he definitely could continue to climb this list, but I think this is a good spot where he's proven enough, but I still, for him to be like an elite guard, he's got to be more consistent. Um, and then above him, Chris Paul, it's just, he, he had his moments in the playoffs where he wasn't great, but uh, they weren't even close to making that point. If he wasn't there, you know, like we talked about this a lot through the season, the impact he had. And I even made a small case for him getting MVP votes because he was just so integral into what they were doing. And he was huge for Aiton. I mean, of all things, hitting shots is one thing, but he got he turned Aiden from a pretty good player to like awesome. Like Aiden would not even be close to where we had him, uh, which was top thirty-five player basically, at least for me. Like he's not even close to that if Paul isn't there. So that that's just that that in itself is a huge bump because he's a point guard. Like you got to get guys involved, and he made Booker better too. Speaking of Booker. Might as well just put them right next to each other. I mean, Booker, another guy that he ebbs and flows. You know, it's kind of his game. He'll have some really bad games. But there was also the game in Milwaukee. I forget which game. I think it may have been game three, where literally everyone on the Suns was horrible, except for him. I think that was the game where he dropped 40 points, um, 40 plus. You know, like that. that's a guy you need on a team. That's a guy that, that says a lot. Like you're in the finals and everyone sucks. And he came through and they didn't win the game. But just to be able to do something like that says a lot about him as a player. And then we're just going to stay on theme here. Chris Middleton talking about the finals. I mean, Middleton is a guy I've loved for a long time, but his ability to get his own shot is one of the best in the league. And he's not going to be talked about like that, even though he was just huge to the finals winning team. But like he's one of the best scorers in the league. Like he has he has that kind of a ceiling. He's not he's not going to average twenty eight points a game, but he, he could very well drop forty points. Like that's he's that level of score, and he's a good defender too. So he's just an all around. I don't know about superstar. He's like right on the fringe. I think of being just an awesome like all star level player. Um, and then to finish it out, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal. It, it's tough because he's always on terrible teams, but he's he's he may be the best scorer in the league. Like he is, he puts up the points for it, obviously, but 
he is just so fun to watch. He's taken a major step back on defense, which which is kind of tough because early in his career, he was a good defender. And I think over time, he just needed more shots and he just kind of gave up on that end. But, you know, as far as like offensive ceiling goes, he's got one of the highest in the league. So I do think it's funny that this is the range now where we're going to basically start having the same guys in nearly identical places. Um, that Donovan Mitchell at 20 brings us to four exactos, <laughs> which includes the Montes Sabonis, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Christian Wood. So I, I thought we'd note that. I think the top 10 will have a lot more um, exactos. I mean, the Chris Paul points are well invalid. I'm not going to dispute anything that you said. I just feel like... I have him in the top 25 too. You know what I mean? It's not like I have him super low. I had him in the top 20 and then drew. I just, I felt like I had to put Middleton over him and obviously I have Zion over him. So I think that Chris Paul is still an incredibly impactful player. Um, He's can be complimentary as well as the, the guy who runs the ship. I thought he did a really good job of deferring to Booker um, this year. And I mean, Booker was incredible through the whole playoffs. I mean, I think we both agree Booker was their best player this year, but I also agree that this doesn't happen without Chris Paul. I mean, Jay Crowder is probably not as, I mean, Jay Crowder, I'm really high on Jay Crowder. Mikhail Bridges definitely isn't on our lists without Chris Paul this year. I would say Um, Aiden, as you brought up. So he made the whole team better, like his calming presence. I mean, he couldn't get around Drew Holiday. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's a six-foot point guard who got shut down by the best perimeter defender in the league. I just felt like there was some weird stuff. And I don't know if that was injury-related because he he did fall on his shoulder in the first round. And I think a lot of people forget that. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns repeated again this year. And, I mean, it would take a lot of work, though. Chris Paul is a little injury-prone. You know, like that's been like if there's one complaint of Chris Paul through his career is that he's missed some time due to injury. And I think that there's always that possibility, but I feel like they'll be fine. Um, I have Beal, Booker and Mitchell in this range, so I'll go ahead and give my next five. So and because I obviously had Middleton and Paul in the last tier. So my next five are it's going to be Donovan Mitchell, like I said, at the next spot. I have Trey Young at 19. So really, I think we flip flop Chris Paul and uh, <laughs> you and yeah. I flip flop Chris Paul and Trey Young. <laughs> um, I have Beal at 18, Booker at 17, and then I have Kyrie at 16. Mm. I think that, and it's really close, <laughs> right? All these distinctions were really hard for me, I'll say. Deciding what spot to put, deciding which spot to put what guy. So I'll start. You brought up Bradley Beal being maybe the best scorer in the league. I think him or Booker are the best, either the best guard scorers in the league that are not named James Harden. Like those two guys are so honestly, in my opinion, I think Booker and Beal are not the same player. They're pretty similar though. And I, I mean, I love the way both of them play. They're both two of my favorite players to watch in the whole league. So I'm, you know, Obviously, I have them in the top 20. I'm very high on them. I love the way both of them play. I think that I gave Booker the edge because in the playoffs, he was consistently dominant. And let's and to be fair to Brad, the Wizards have sucked. So they've been playing the best teams. If, if they make the playoffs, they've been playing the best teams. So like last year against the Sixers, you know, they could throw Danny Green at him, right? And Brad still had like 30 points a game on 50% shooting. 
But from three, he was like, he was making like one of every eight. He was not great from three at all in that series. And Booker wasn't great from three either, but he was a lot better than Brad. So really, I think that was the distinction I used to put um, Booker over Brad there. Um, Donovan Mitchell, the pull-up shooting (laughs) was incredible this year, that jump. He's still not that great of a passer to me, but I think he'll eventually get there. Trey, (laughs) I'm so high on Trey Young, man. What he did in the playoffs to the Sixers, he cut them apart with like with a scalpel. Like he was just so proficient, so, uh, so proficient, so efficient. Uh, look at me rapping over here. Um, but he was so good at getting to the lane. So good at finding open guys. I mean, it's obvious that they don't make it that far without Trey young, but the fact that the Trey young Luka Doncic trade doesn't look ridiculous now is probably the biggest testament to how good Trey young is. And most other guys, right? Like they're like, Oh, you're not Luka. You're not Luka. I think the biggest accomplishment of Trey's career is that we can look at that trade and be like, hey, you are your own guy now. The trade was worth it for the Atlanta, which is, you know, like when you're talking about a guy like Luca who's getting off to a start that guys like LeBron get off to <laughs> would be like, okay, you're kind of being ridiculous, but they made the conference finals. He's hitting incredibly tough shots. He had 48 points, was it, in game one? He had a lot of points against the Bucks. He got hurt. And it derailed the series against the Bucs. But I think they could have taken the Bucs to seven if he didn't get hurt. Like, they might have won the series without Giannis playing if Trey hadn't gotten hurt. So I think that he's a special, special talent. And the East should be scared of the Hawks for a while. (laughs) And then Kyrie, um, the vaccination stuff had no banking on this ranking. So incredible finisher, incredible scorer. I just have some guys ahead of him, but because I don't think you can be the the best guy on a championship team. But I think as a second guy, he is a top 20 player. Like, that's how good he is. Like, he, as a second guy, he is incredible. And they almost beat the Bucks. <laughs> I mean, they did have one Kyrie healthy game where the Bucks beat them. But after he got hurt, I still think if Kyrie was healthy, the Nets went in six. So I'm sure you're higher on Kyrie than me. What uh, nitpicks do you have with my five of Mitchell, Trey, Beal, Booker, and Irving? I mean, I don't really have anything um, too bad. Like, I get it with Trey. That That's like the one big difference for me and you is Trey. And I get it. Like, he is one of the best passers in the league. He is just an absolutely incredible offensive hub. And I think the best part of his game is that he doesn't need the three-point shot anymore. That I think that's been the biggest difference. And I'm going to give the credit to Nate McMillan because as soon as Nate McMillan came in there, Trey just wasn't really – he wasn't going hard style anymore. And I think that was Lloyd Pierce's kind of goal. And part of it may have been job security. Maybe he's like, hey – like this young kid's going to play like Harden and yeah, give us four years. It'll work out. And the Hawks at some point are like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to give McMillan credit for that. Um, kind of reining him in and saying, Hey, like you don't have to shoot this much. You are a very good ball handler. You can get to the rim. You've got a good floater. You're a great passer. Like just use the three point shot to throw defenders off. You don't always have to put the shot up. So, and, you know, McMillan gets credit. He gets credit, obviously. And I, I think his future is, is as bright as almost anyone. I mean, he 
I think this is going to be fascinating to watch how this that draft gets looked at because this year, Aiton and Trey both had more success than Luca, and you know, uh, especially Aiden again, he relies on on other guys a lot more. But like you mentioned with Trey, like he's doing this on his own. Like he he's got a great team around him, but he's the leader of that team. And Luca, on the other hand, there's a lot of kind of dismay with that team right now. So I, unless Jason Kidd can push him to a new level, um, I think I think we're kind of seeing a leveling of the playing field with those well, with those three guys, but those two in particular. Exactly, and just the 2018 draft <laughs> guys that we. I mean, I have Kevin Herter in my top 100. You don't, but we have, we both have, um, we got Michael Porter Jr., Mikhail Bridges, Aiton, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Luca, and Trey. That draft is going to be ridiculous. And plus, Jaren might be in the top 100 next year. That draft is just going to go back and we're going to look at that like, that might be the best draft of all time in a couple of years, like not even being hyperbolic about it, just so much all NBA all-star level talent in that draft. is just absolutely insane. But again, in the interest of time, <laughs> I feel we got to move on because we're, I feel like we're going to discuss some interesting ones in this five, some coming up because now we're going to have to cut some guys out of the top 10. So Dylan, who is your 15th through 11th ranked players in the NBA? So this actually, the top 15 wasn't as hard for me as I thought it was going to be. And these guys are so close, you know, it, it could easily swing, but I went with Anthony Davis at 15 and a lot of that is just, he, he doesn't stay healthy. Like it's as simple as that. And he had his one great season with, with LeBron winning the finals and you know, he had his season with Drew in New Orleans. But it's like, if you're a top 10 player, that's got to be like every season. You know, we can't have you missing a bunch of games, important games all the time. And that's, it's, is it his fault? No. But this is not a, we're not, we're not trying to make this a fair fight. Like, this is how it is. You know, he gets hurt. So, again, he's, he's got the ceiling of, of a top, I don't know if he's got the ceiling of a top five player at this point, but top 10, absolutely. So, but we need to see it every single year and it's kind of been back and forth lately. So that's, that's why he's there. Um, next is Kyrie. As you talked about both of these guys, very uh, good fits with LeBron. <laughs> both have won a title with them. So if they can find a guy like LeBron, they're awesome sidekicks. They're not going to do it on their own, but playing with LeBron, Kevin Durant, you know, it makes it a lot easier. Um, and they complement those guys very well. Kyrie, I mean, there's nothing to say. Like, he's the best finisher of all time. He's an amazing ball handler. He's a great clutch scorer. Like, he's got the intangibles of a superstar second banana. And that's what he is. Next is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, I think out of my top at least in this range right here, and maybe even creeping into the top 10 a little bit. I think Tatum of those guys has the highest ceiling. I think Tatum, just when you watch him score 50 points, it's like that no one does it this easy except for Kevin Durant. Nobody does it this easy except for Kevin Durant. And if you're in the same sense as Kevin Durant with anything, you can be the best player in the league. And I really think Tatum at some point, 
he could be an MVP candidate. He could be the best player in the league because he is such a seamless scorer on offense. And he's also a very good defender too. Like that's not a lot of these top 10, top 15, like they're great on offense, but maybe iffy on defense, but Tatum when he really wants to, he can lock you in. And he like, as far as an all around talent, he he's up there with the best of them. And then next is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy, I don't need to even say anything like the dude's a stud. He's good at everything except for shooting. But even when he needs to be good at shooting, he is like he's probably one of the most consistent playoff performers of this generation. Like he's just good all the time. He makes teams better. He's and hey, how many teams do you need to prove it? He's been on four teams. They've all gotten better with him. I mean, there's not a lot worse without him. And they got way worse without him. There's not a lot of guys that can say that in the league. So he he's kind of in a he, he's a very unique player. Like he's different than a lot of these guys, but he brings it every year. And it's hard not to root for someone like him because he's just he works, man. I mean, he was a 30th overall pick. You know, he works like he had to work to get to this point. So shout out to Jimmy. We're going to continue to praise him until he retires. And then this is the interesting one. This is one. This has been a conversation for eight years. Paul George. I feel like Paul George and Jimmy Butler have always been right next to each other. They keep leapfrogging each other. But Paul George, since leaving the Pacers, I think he's gotten a lot better on ball. He's become a much more deadly three-point shooter. Uh, He's become a much better passer. And he's pretty much the same level of defender, if not even a little bit better. So I think, like, as we saw in the playoffs this past year, the dude is a star. And when his shoulders aren't fucked up, he's pretty good at basketball. And we saw that this year with him and Reggie Jackson, of all people, carrying them through. So for now, Paul George has the crown over Jimmy Butler. It'll probably change this season, um, but for now, he's got it. Well, it's funny you say that. Listen. Our Bulls and Pacers biases are showing here when it comes to Jimmy and Paul George because I still have Jimmy over Paul George. I will be, listen, I love Paul George. I love the way he played last year. I think Jimmy can do it, Paul George. I think they each have differing skill sets, right? And that's what's so, I think what's so intriguing about this conversation, right? Like Paul George is the lottery pick. Paul George is, you know, the guy, he's got a smooth game. Paul George, Jimmy, meanwhile, is the guy who puts on his hard hat coming into work every day. He's the guy that, you know, you want on your, in your sandbox, he's going to grind through every possession, you know, and just game wise too. Like Paul George is just a lot like smoother with the ball. Whereas Jimmy's more of like a, a bulldog, right? Where he's, his, Jimmy's game is not smooth whatsoever. But it works. It's going. Jimmy's game is more about practicality, and I'm not saying Paul George only cares about being smooth and only appearing to you know, only caring about the appearance of looking smooth. But compared to Jimmy, it you could make that assumption. So I just have always preferred Jimmy Butler over Paul George. <laughs> this could be my bias. I have him over. Let me give my five so that we can compare. Because other than uh, other than Kyrie. And Zion, we have practically the same five in this range. So my five is I have Tatum at 15, Zion at 14, Paul George at 13, Jimmy at 
12, Anthony Davis at 11. So we have four of the same five in none of them in the exact same spots. (laughs) And I think that that's really interesting the way that we look at it. I'll, I'll do, I'll continue the Jimmy versus PG thing. I just think when push comes to shove, if I need someone to put a team on his back, I feel more comfortable asking Jimmy Butler to do it than asking Paul George to do it. Is that fair? Probably not. But I would say this year's Clippers team was a lot more talented than the last year's Heat team, the 2020 Heat team that made the finals. You might call it a wash, like even with Kawhi out, right? Like, I mean, just the spacing that Paul George had, Jimmy put that team on his back and they made the finals. Paul George, God bless, God bless his soul. He... Oh, I don't like framing it this way because I love Paul George and I love the way Reggie played. But if Reggie Jackson isn't on the Clippers last year, I don't know if they make it out of the, I don't know if they win a game in the conference finals. And I don't know how far they make it without Kawhi in the second round. Like, I think they needed that Reggie Jackson signing to hit the way that it did. It didn't hit in 2020, but in 2021, it majorly hit. I just think that if I'm choosing between the two of them, I'm going with Jimmy. But at the same time, the rational part of my brain's like, I could totally see it the other way too. And obviously, um, you have Anthony Davis at 15. I have Jason Tatum at 15. I'm shocked. Absolutely shocked, Dylan Hughes, that you are higher on Jason Tatum than I am. But here's the thing. With your statement about him having the highest potential in this group, I agree. I think there's a chance in the next five years that he's the best player in the NBA, bar none. I've always thought this. Luca obviously jumps off the page, right? Like, you know, you see the the way he can play, the way he can make others better. Tatum's not there yet, I'll, I'll say. If that's the last piece of his game he needs to add, though. Like, if he can get to six assists a game, I don't see any reason why he's not going to be the best player in the world. Because the defense is elite. The shooting is elite. You brought up Kevin Durant as the comparison to Tatum. Here's the comparison I'd make. And this isn't a one-to-one because obviously they don't play the same position. But he's like smooth like young Kobe. He's got that element to his game where like he likes to take... Kevin Durant's more like efficient, like, okay, I'm going to get the best shot that I can. Whereas Kobe's like, I'm going to try to make this just because I can't. Fuck you. Like he's going to take those... There's no reason a sidestep three should be your signature shot, (laughs) but it is. And he makes it work. Like you should not be taking as many of those as you do. He tries to take too many mid range turnarounds that don't always work. Still. (laughs) He cut a lot of those out of his game last year, but I think that his best comparison is like, it just in terms of like fluidity and how he plays, I think it's young Kobe and then AD. (laughs) 80, I think we both agree, should be a top 10 player. You brought up the injuries. I'll just bring up every year in New Orleans that was in 2018. Like, they never made the playoffs with him. Like, they made it twice. And yeah, the two times he was in the playoffs in New Orleans, he was special, right? Against the 2015 Warriors who went on to win the championship, he was great in that series. In the 2018 playoffs, obviously, they crushed the Blazers and they, they gave the Warriors a run for their money in the second round. But you just can't make the playoffs with Anthony Davis as your best player. And I think that's the reason why I kept him out of the top 10. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's what it is, and like I I had Kyrie over him, just one spot, but I I think Kyrie you can get to the playoffs with just him because we've basically. I, I can't say he just did it himself in in Boston because he had Tatum and Brown, but I mean, is there a huge difference between that level of Tatum and Brown and then like Drew Holiday and whatever else they had there? Like, and the West was much harder, but I don't think it's that far off. And and I would say Anthony Davis talent wise is better than Kyrie. So whatever difference there is should be covered by that. So, yeah, I mean, Davis, it's kind of like if he doesn't have the perfect situation, he just doesn't win. And you cannot say a guy's a top 10 player and then also say that if he doesn't have the perfect situation, he's, he may not even make the playoffs. I mean, there's no one in this conversation you can say that about besides him. I mean, like, it's okay. I have two guys like that in my top 15. There's a reason Zion isn't in my top 10. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, there's like I, I might have jumped the gun putting Zion in the top fifteen, but I'm not gonna definitely jump the gun putting him in the top ten because he has not made the playoffs yet. Right, I'm kind of projecting with Zion a little bit. I'll admit he was. I think he's great, but I think that what you said about Anthony Davis is spot on. <laughs> you can't be a top ten player and not lead your team to the playoffs every year. It's just not feasible. I mean, okay. Obviously, it's different positions. No, okay. Let's swap Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis last year. How did the Sixers do? Like, that's a legitimate question. Let's swap Nikola Jokic and Anthony Davis. How did the Nuggets do? The Nuggets are probably going to be, they're probably going to be like top five defense, probably 20th in offense, and be in play in range, right? And maybe Anthony Davis struggled from the lack of a play in in the West because he might have made some noise in some of those games. But I think we just see, like, with rare exceptions, you can't be a big man in today's NBA anymore and lead your team to wins the way you used to be able to. Like, this isn't the 90s, right? Like, the 90s, you had Ewing, you had Shaq, you had Akeem, you had David Robinson, right? Hell, you had Dikembe Mutombo, you had Rick Smiths, right? You could have those guys as your best or second best player and win 50 games every year. That's, it's not the same NBA anymore. <laughs> you have to be, to be a top 10 center, you have to be a transcendent player. You have to be top of the top, unimpeachable center who can do everything. And I think that Anthony Davis, first of all, his unwillingness to play center factors into this ranking as well. Like he wants to be a power forward. And then... <laughs> If he played center for a full year, I mean, again, 2018 and 2020 were two years where Anthony Davis played primarily center. And look what happened both times. 2018, they made the second round. 2020 with the Lakers, they won the finals. So the proof is in the pudding. And Anthony Davis just doesn't want to eat the pudding. Yeah, and comparing him to Embiid and Jokic is like, that's what we've been doing for years. And the truth is, those guys are just kind of better at creating their own offense. Like, Jokic is a much better passer. And I would say he's probably less skilled in the post, but he uses his body. We always talk about his shoulders. Like, he uses his body well enough where he can 
kind of get on that same level. Embiid is obviously the best post player in the league. Anthony Davis, I feel like if he doesn't get you on the first two moves, then he passes the ball. And a lot of the time he is able to do that because he's playing against a smaller guy or he's just stronger or something. So it's not hard for him to beat them. But there's a lot of times where if he can't beat them early on, he's just got to get rid of the ball. And again, that that puts you in that Kyrie range where if you don't have an elite shot creator next to you, it just becomes a lot more difficult. So Anthony Davis is one of the best players in the league still. He is potentially the best complimentary player in the league, but top 10 and comparing him to Jokic and Embiid, it's just not really even a question that he's not on that level. Also, can we talk about how Anthony Davis's shooting became incredibly overrated? <laughs> like he, as a mid-range shooter, undeniable, right? Yeah. Like he's not Dirk in terms of big man shooting mid-range, but he's somewhere in like that ne- close tier next to Dirk, right? Like in terms of shooting mid-range shots, he's pretty undeniable. But the three-point shooting. So first of all, the most threes he ever took in a season was 3.5 a game, right? His three-point percentages since 2015-16. 32, 29, 34, 33, 33, 26. In the playoffs in 2020, he shot 38% from three. That's looking more and more like a Draymond 2016 aberration, right? And I don't think he can't shoot. So, yeah, you're you're like Dirk on offense, but you just are refusing to play the five, which is your best position on both sides. And it, it just doesn't make sense. He says he's going to play five this year. There's a shot I put him in my top 10 next year if he plays up to his full potential. Because let's be real here. He might not be a top 10 player in the league, Dylan. I'd say he's the most important player in the league. Like, if he's not going well, then they have no shot to win. Because especially in the West, you have Jokic and you have Aiton, two legitimate center threats. And if you have Anthony Davis out there, you... Like, and if he's playing well on, at center, you eliminate the Clippers' small ball. So he might be the most important player. What do you think about that statement? He's not the best, but he might be the most important player in the NBA. I guess you could say that because the Lakers have title aspirations. And if he's not Anthony Davis, then it's just LeBron and Russell Westbrook, and they're not winning the finals. So... I think that's probably a fair statement because as we saw with the Lakers a couple of years ago, we just mostly me, but we both kind of talked about how the Lakers, we just had trouble seeing them win because they only had two guys. Every team in the league has a third guy that's, he's not maybe on that same level, but like he's good enough to contribute every game on offense, defense, like whatever they need. And they did enough to patch that together and make it work and they won the finals and this year I could see that being something similar because if Russell Westbrook's your second best player you're fucked you're not winning you're maybe getting to the the conference finals maybe but he's just not the player that he was you know five six seven years ago Anthony Davis if he's your second best player you're in a good you're in a good place if you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, your two best players, as they've proven already, the pieces around them don't matter as much. 
So I think that's a fair statement because, I mean, you could look around the league and like Brooklyn could, they could lose Harden or Kyrie. And I think they could still win the finals. Um, The Bucks. mm, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's probably fair to say Anthony Davis is more important than any of those other kind of, not to call them ancillary pieces because they're, you know, top 30 players, but he he probably is the most important out of all those guys. The fair statement. It's a good way to end it. Um, I will say one last note on Anthony Davis. When he was healthy in the Sun Series, he was the best player on the floor. It wasn't close, I would say. Like in, on both teams, <laughs> I would say he was the best player on the floor, including LeBron. So obviously he got hurt. So we don't know how the rest of that series would have played out. And he came back and played in game six, but he was terrible. So I'd say now, Dylan, for like right now, we're going to move on to our top 10. Let's just each name our 10th guy, ninth guy, and we'll like kind of have a quick debate. So, okay. Who's your 10th guy? And then I'll name my 10th guy and we'll debate. All right. My 10th guy is Joel Embiid. Interesting. I have Damian Lillard at my 10th guy. So why do you have Embiid at your 10th spot? So this is the way I did this list was I kind of just started putting players down and I'm like, would I take the seventh guy over the eighth guy? Would I take the 56th guy or the 57th guy? That's kind of how I did it. And if I got down the list and I'm like, oh, I would much rather have the guy at 59 than at 53, so I'll move him up. And early on, I was kind of that same way. And I guess I don't want to reveal my next player uh, too soon. But as I went on, I'm just like, you know, I would I would take this guy over Embiid. I would take Embiid over Paul George, that's for sure. And, like, that's kind of how I really felt comfortable was would I definitely take this guy over the guy that's right behind him? I would definitely take Joel Embiid over Paul George, but the guy in front of him, I felt like had a little bit more upside, even though, I mean, at the top 10, the upside is pretty similar. I would agree. Um, I have Embiid a couple spots higher, I'll say. I won't reveal exactly what spot. The reason I have Dame here and not higher, he deserves a lot more blame for the defense in Portland. He's keeping them alive on offense. But that defense, and the Olympics did not factor in on this decision at all, I'll admit, but it kind of cemented my case, I'll say, where the defense in the Olympics was atrocious, right? And I think the whole, like, the whole country and casual people started noticing, like, hey, his Dame isn't good at defense at all. (laughs) So I think... Yeah, his offense is transcendent. I watched the 55-point performance against Denver in the first round where they lost. (laughs) It's not his fault they lost that series at all. I'll say that. You have Damian Lillard on your team, you will win 45 games at minimum, right? He is that good. He's going to carry your team to that good of a record. I just think that in terms of the top 10, the other guys' defenses range from bad to okay to potentially great. And Dames is the only one I would say that ventured between the 10 guys that we both have, because we both have the same 10 guys. He's the only one whose defense is disastrous. And I think that's why I had him this low. That's fair. What I will say is for six through 10, 
potentially five through 10 for me, at least now that I'm looking at it, I'm not convinced they could win the finals on their own. So they all have something that's not good enough. Right. Right. They don't need someone better than them, but they need someone that's maybe in a similar range, like, like Giannis and Chris Middleton, both for me, top 17 players, you know, LeBron and AD top 15, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie top 14, like that. You kind of need a pairing like that. Um, and then Harden is thrown in there too, which is crazy, <laughs> but most teams are not going to have that, but you need at least a pairing of top, like two top and the, the top five, six guys. I think they could do it on their own. Like you could give them, I mean, the better teammates, they have the easier chance, but you can go further down that list and they could still win the finals. And this is kind of the range where it's like they, they all have something that's not quite good enough. So I'm not going to criticize Lillard's defense too much. Like it's hard for me to watch those Portland's teams and say that Dame's not doing enough. You know, it, it's just hard for me to do. I don't, I don't think it's fair, even though it's a fair criticism that he's not good at defense. I don't think it's for me, at least it's not fair to, punish him for that when he has played more than his fair part. That's, that's a fair counterpoint. I just feel like in terms of your, I mean, you're totally right. Like, I mean, James Harden needed Chris Paul to almost beat the Warriors in 2018. I mean, go through the list, right? Michael Jordan needed Scottie Pippen. You can't win by yourself in the NBA. I think that's the biggest misnomer of all. I just think that all things being equal, right? If you give... (laughs) If you give Kevin Durant a team full of Kevin Herters, if you give Giannis a team full of Buddy Heels, right? Like that range of guys who would go the farthest maybe. And I think that having a guy like Dame at your point of attack, if you just have a team full of average guys around him, like let's just say you put Brooke Lopez, um, who's an average power forward. Like let's just say Dorian Finney-Smith. I'll just go through my list. You have Brooke Lopez, Dorian Finney-Smith, Joe Ingles, and Kevin Herter as your starting five, right? And you put all top 10 of those guys as your five, like in that list and, you know, maybe replaced by position or whatever. Like, I feel like Dame would kind of tank your team the most in that situation. In the regular season, he's absolutely great, right? Like he's going to lead your team to success. I just think in the playoffs, yeah, his flaw kind of hurts you the most, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I, looking at the the other guys I have behind him, I think their flaws are maybe a little bit less dramatic, but I just feel like we've seen Harden do so much for so long. Maybe, maybe it's fair to give him some of the criticism. Like, we've given LeBron criticism in the past for not being a good enough shooter, for not playing good enough defense, you know, like it's, they're all going to get criticism of some sort and they they all can be better. And yeah, Dame can definitely be better on defense. Like there's nothing else to say about that, but his, his offensive ceiling and, and it's not just, it's because when we say ceiling, it's like what he can do, but with Dame, it's like, it's just what he does. Like his, what he actually does is better than pretty much any player in the league on offense. So that alone, I, it's just hard for me to, to put him behind some guys, even though, again, they're all close enough. It doesn't really matter that much. But 
it's again defense is a very fair point, but I just I can't overlook the offense and some of the shots he's hit. He's hit more shots than almost anyone on this list, and that mm-hmm. that speaks volumes too. To be clear, this is incredibly nitpicky. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like this is like for both of us, we are just finding the smallest things to try to poke holes in them <laughs> and being like, okay, this is why this guy's ahead of this guy, because these guys are all elite, right? When you get into the top 12, 13, 15, like hell right now, the top 15, they're all very elite basketball players. So finding a reason to put one guy ahead of the other is, you know, you need to do it. <laughs> like you need to find the smallest things to do it and justify it. But we'll talk more about Dame later. Who do you have at your ninth guy? So I have Luca. I also have Luca. There you go. So, you know, obviously I have Harden and Lillard ahead of him because I haven't talked about them yet. Those three, I, I tie very closely together because I think they're similar players. They all have their unique uh, differences, but of those three, and I take Luca over Embiid because you know I value main creators and. Embiid's a center. Like he's a he's an offensive hub. He's a creator, but it's just different. He needs someone to get him the ball. Like he's not going to take the ball from whatever ninety four feet and and handle it like these other guys can. So that's why I have I have him over Embiid. But compared to Lillard and Harden, I mean he's just not done enough. Like the numbers are there, but the playoffs. We've seen it basically two years in a row, and, and last year it was more about Porzingis getting hurt. This year it was more about Porzingis just not being good. <laughs> um, but Luca had they had the advantage and they lost. And you know they played the same team. They played a guy that's just a few spots behind him and a guy that's a few spots ahead of him. So it's not like he was taking on some trash team. But he, I'm not going to say he came up small. But he has not made it past the first round. And compared to those two guys, which have done much more in the playoffs, that's I think he belongs kind of right right between that. Not right between them, but right behind him. That's a really good way to put it. I mean, the playoff numbers are astounding, right? Through his first two years, 33 and a half points a game, um, 9.5 assists, 8.8 rebounds. Um, gets to the line 8.8 times a game. He's only shooting 60% from the foul line in the playoffs, which is not great. As last year, that was his biggest flaw, was missing the free throws. He shot like Shaq in the playoffs last year against the Clippers. I don't understand it. Last year, it was 52% from the free throw line. And my only problem with Luka right now and why I have him ninth It's just like, it feels like he's at the stage of his career where he's like, okay, everything's on me. This is on my responsibility. I'm going to put the team on my shoulders. And yeah, that's a good thing, right? But I think he's taking that to its logical extreme, right? I'm going to pull up the team stats for the the playoffs. We're going to look at the field goal attempts for every other player. So he averaged 28 field goal attempts a game. Hardaway was the next closest player at 14. Chris Stapps only had 10. And then Boban, Boban had almost 10 attempts a game, which is shocking. Um, Finney Smith had nine. And then Jalen Brunson had six. So your team had almost, basically the next two guys weren't taking as many shots as you were. And I think that that number, that 28 number has got to go down, 
right? I think maybe like 25 shots a game, like three fewer. But if that involves, you know, more ball movement, if that involves more, you know, player movement, like Luca movement, I think he'll be better off. I just think that his tendency is to hero ball it a little too much right now. And I think that he's, again, what he's doing at his young age at 21 is remarkable. So let's not act like, you know, he's some ball hog, (laughs) but (laughs) I think that because he's turning 22 or he's 22 right now. So in like three years, we might be discussing him as like a two-time champion already. But I think that he's so great and there's just so much more room to grow. It's, it's incredible how much potential he has, but I think that there's, like Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof. And I think that Luca, Luca has a, is on a trajectory to be an all-time great right now. And I'll be curious to see where he falls on that journey. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting factor of how we talk about Luca is that we're, comp- we're already comparing him to what he should be. And that's definitely not fair. Like he, I guess Tatum is technically technically done more than him, but we talk about Tatum a lot differently than Luca because we don't have the same expectations for Luca or for Tatum. I mean, me and you do, but I don't think the league looks at Luca and Tatum as the same level of player when they are. And Tatum has been, has he been to two Eastern Conference finals already? Three, I think even better. So like it's, it's hard to criticize him for basically anything except, you know, you mentioned the passing could, could do better, but Luca we're, we're thinking he's like LeBron. And we don't talk about Tatum like he's the next LeBron or KD. We just talk about him as a great young player. Luca, he's the next LeBron. So he could score 35, 7 and 7 all playoffs or whatever. But, you know, if if he doesn't get out of the first round, it, it looks worse. And again, it he should be criticized for that, even though he was so young and still is. And, and I agree that their team is better when he is not ball hogging because especially last year, you saw it where there was a lot of times where he was almost a decoy in that offense because they were so focused on him. He would just pass to wide open shooters. And I talked about this um, before the season with, cause I thought Dallas had a, a ceiling of the number one seed because Luca, his gravity was so strong that they would just get wide open shooters. And he happens to be a pretty good passer too. So it's like the same thing with Trey Young. When you have wide open shooters, you either get a wide open shot because they're playing passing lanes or they're playing you so close that you find wide open shooters. So I think he could probably do a better job of spreading the ball a little bit. And he's easily, if he can do that, he's easily jumping into the top five conversation. No doubt. I mean, there's, I mean, ESPN had him at four, which frankly is ridiculous, but we're not going to like, he's not better than Steph Curry. (laughs) He's just not. That's so stupid. (laughs) That list list was a disaster. Um, I haven't actually seen the top 50. I think I just looked at 51 through a hundred, but the fact that we all have Bojan at 67, like, what is it, man? What is it about him that just screams 67? (laughs) 
you know, it's an excellent question. That's probably better answered another time. Um, <laughs> but for now, I'd say we can move on to our eighth players. I'm going to assume you have one of Harden or Damian Lillard at eight here. Yeah, I have Harden and this is probably not fair to have him behind Dame because he's technically done more. I mean, not even technically, like he's won, you know, MVPs and he's made it to the conference finals and played better than Dame's team did. I don't know if it's maybe I'm discrediting him because he had Chris Paul and Dame has not had anyone like Chris Paul. I think that's maybe what it is, but, and I will say Harden is much better on defense as well, but I don't know. There's just something, I mean, we talk about Dame all the time. Like we love the guy, like he's, his shot creation is just so unique. Like it's hard for me to not, it's hard for me to put Dame behind anyone except for Curry, you know? And because they're so similar and, and Curry's way better than, than Lillard and Lillard is not way better than Harden. You know, I think you could talk me out of, I, I could swap them pretty easily, but the, there's just, and Harden has come up small a lot more often as well. Lillard has, has he really had a bad series like that he wasn't hurt in? Yeah, the 2019 conference finals. I'm gonna pull that up real quick. He wasn't great in that. I'm gonna pull that up so that way he's had a couple duds. Like, obviously, it's okay. 2019 conference finals. He was at 22 and eight and a half on 37, 37, 88 shooting splits. Okay, that that is your worst series. Is not that bad. Well, also, also. <laughs> He did. Uh, he got the full Drew Holiday in 2018, if that's you remember right. correctly. Yeah, that that's true. That that did happen. <laughs> that was um, that was a tough one for him. But the thing with Harden, and this is so long ago, it doesn't feel fair to talk about. But the Clippers game when he goes out and the team makes a comeback, you know what I mean? Like that. That's a moment that that Lillard really hasn't dealt with. Like the team has never. He's had bad series. But the team has not been better with him off the floor. And it's not like that Rockets team had Chris Paul coming off the bench or anything. Or, or like, was it – I don't want to say it was Aaron Brooks. I know it wasn't Aaron Brooks, but, like, they never had some crazy bench unit that was so inspiring that they could really, you know, beat a good Clippers team without Harden. And – I don't know. Like, again, it feels unfair, but as you mentioned, we got to get nitpicky at this point. And this is kind of a level where it's like, we're almost talking legacy a bit and legacy wise. I think Lillard, I don't want to say it's been more impressive than Harden because Harden again has won more trophies. uh, Not, not as far as finals, but he's won more awards, but I don't know. There's just something about, Lillard that I've always kind of valued more than Harden. Well, and I mean, you know, if I was doing this discussion, if I had Dame over Harden, what I would just bring up is the famous 2014 series where Dame knocked the uh, Rockets out of the playoffs because Harden, listen, Harden's had a lot of bad moments, right? I'll, I'll admit there is not, I think the difference there is volume, though. 
like you parse through. So, okay. I'm going to go to James Harden's playoff series page. Okay. I actually have. Um, so that game, the game you brought up, the Rockets players that were on the floor included such luminaries as Corey Brewer, Josh Smith, and Pablo Prigioni. <laughs> um, Jason Terry started for the Rockets that year. Um, Trevor Ariza, Dwight Howard. So you're not the greatest. Um, not the greatest Rockets team. But in, okay, Harden's Houston tenure, he played 85 playoff games. I'm going to go back to Dame's page. And he's definitely not played 85 games in the playoffs. I can tell you that much. Yeah. 61 total games for Dame in the playoffs, just in his whole career. And I didn't include Harden's OKC career because that's not fair for the purposes of this discussion. But then... I mean, Dame's only made the playoffs or only made the second round once since LaMarcus left in 2016. Like, I think that's a fair counterpoint because they made the conference finals in 2019. But think about what had to break right for them to make the conference finals, right? And yeah, this isn't Dame. This is more so a product of the Trailblazers, Neil O'Shea, who I've been destroying for the better part of six months now. Um I mean, they had to face the the Thunder, who were um, kind of imploding, and Paul George would request out a couple months later. And basically, Russell Westbrook and Paul George were gone by the time the summertime came. Um, they faced the Nuggets, who weren't ready to win yet. They played an incredibly tough second-round series, and they gutted that out. But the Nuggets weren't what they are now. And then they got steamrolled by the Warriors in Draymond's last great series and Steph and Clay's last series, like full series together. So again, it's not Dame's fault. And that's why I don't like doing this particular discussion because he's great. (laughs) It's just that the circumstances have made it to where he's, you know, I'd rather have Harden because at the end of the day, (laughs) Harden's one a lot more playoff series as the best player than Dame has. And is that just like a cold way to look at the comparisons? Sure. But I mean, Harden, like, let's just look at some of the series he did win, right? Like, I mean, he's beat the, like, and this is in Oklahoma city to be fair. This is a long time ago. He did beat the Spurs by himself. Damn near. (laughs) He, you know, they made it to the conference finals in 2015 with Harden and um, Howard. There's just a lot more. So let's see. Okay. You got, they beat the Thunder in 2017. Um, They beat the Jazz pretty convincingly in 2018. They had the Jazz's number, right? That was one team that exploited Rudy to no end. Um, I just think that as your best player, Harden will lead you to more victories just because of the way his playing style is, right? Dame's more explosive, but Harden's Harden's that guy. If you're going to compare him, right? Dame's that guy who's going to have a couple, like he's going to bat 200 for a month, but he'll have three or he'll have four, three Homer games. And you'll be like, Whoa, this guy is going to do like, is going to be super explosive. Whereas Harden's the guy that's going to hit 275. He'll have three home runs or he'll have seven home runs in a month. And he'll just be super steady. And I think that's the difference between them, right? And I'm not saying Dame's not steady. But I think the difference between the the two of them is that Dame's just a lot flashier, right? Harden's 
I think the biggest complaint about Harden's game is just that it's boring. <laughs> you know, no one likes to see him get to the line as much as he does. No one likes to see him, you know, he kind of jogs out there. I just think that, I don't know. I, I'd rather have Harden's consistency over Dame's explosions, right? And I'm not saying Dame's explosions are a bad thing. I just think I'd rather have Harden. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to give really a pushback because, again, it's it's so close. You could ask me tomorrow. I'd probably be like, yeah, maybe I would take Harden. Like, it's it's so close. It's not even really worth arguing for me because I've made my argument. I I love Harden. Two, I think he, you know, is a better all-around player. As far as ceiling, I think, is where I go Dame, and that's kind of maybe where I went with this. But, again, it's it's so close, it doesn't matter. That's, that's exactly the point. Um, my eighth guy is Joel Embiid. Um, Joel Embiid should be the best player in the league. And for a variety of reasons, he's not. He... It's mostly his inability to stay healthy. I honestly want to put him in the top five. I just can't, right? Like, because what can't, the only thing he can't do is make passes out of the post like Jokic. But guess what? <laughs> Not a whole lot of people can. I mean, he's about as good of a passer out of the post. Like, he's just comparing him to his, you know, peers. Because his peers, in terms of like post play, are like Shaq. Um, Akeem, Robinson, like the actual like elite post players, those are his peers. And he could pass just fine compared to those guys, right? Like he's not like, again, he's not Jokic, but nobody is. So I think that the only hole in his game is just that he can't stay healthy. And it's a pretty big hole to be fair, but I think that he should be the best player in the league. And I think that, you know, maybe once Katie and Steph retire, he's a pretty constant in the top five. Yeah. I mean, he is, I think we kind of saw this year, like what, I mean, we've seen it before, but he, there's just times where he's just unstoppable. And like, I've, I've said this a lot with Gobert, like I've, I've almost used the success of MB to defend Gobert where it's like, well, you know, Embiid killed Gobert, but who does he not kill? And that's something I say all the time now when I'm talking about other centers, it's like they can guard everybody but Embiid <laughs> and Jokic. It's like those those two guys, like Anthony Davis can't guard them. So if Anthony Davis, if Bam can't do it, I, I don't know, you know where else to look. So he is incredible. And I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm wanting him to get the right pieces around him because I think he can absolutely be like, a 1A or a 1B on a finals team. It's just, we haven't seen that yet. Honestly, I would love to see him with Dame. Like that would be a pretty sick combination. Like both of those guys would be absolute killers in their spots. Um, Embiid being a hit, Embiid's the best screen setter in the league too. I don't think that's really up for dispute. I mean, Half their offense when J.J. Redick was there was just running J.J. Redick off screens to create movement and create openings for other players. And Embiid, they couldn't have done that without Embiid. So I think Embiid, as a screen setter, is the best screen setter in the league. I think that he's, you know, he's good at everything. He just can't stay healthy. So that's, he's one of the more frustrating guys in the league because of that. But in the interest of time, I'm guessing your seventh player is going to be Damian Lillard. Yeah. 
And, and my, I, I already said all that, so my job's done. <laughs> and mine's done too, because mine was James Harden at seven. So we are going to um, move on to our sixth player. And I'm curious to see who you have at six here, because I think I could see you going about three different ways here. So this is the point where I mentioned earlier where I'm like, could he win a finals on his own? Because every single guy ahead of him has done it. Not again, when I say on his own, I mean, is the best player. Um, and this, this guy for me is Jokic. Me too. Jokic is, he is the closest to me on that level of being undoubtedly the best player on a finals team to, you know, maybe he needs someone that's basically in that range. Maybe he needs Lillard. Maybe he needs Harden, you know? I don't think he does. I think that Jamal Murray is, like, that's a guy I have. I guess with with without the injury, he's closer to a top 20, 25 guy. So I think he can win with a range, with a level guy like that. And then MPJ hopefully will bump up too, but... By the way, MPJ, a massive extension. Um, so congrats to him. But I think I think he can I think he can do it as the best player. I think I don't think he needs Kyrie or Dame. I don't think he needs that. I think Jamal Murray and MPJ and some other stuff is good enough. I, I think this year, this past year, if Murray was healthy, I think they very well could have made the conference finals again for the second year in a row. Because as I just talked about the Embiid. Good luck guarding Jokic because Gobert last year did a good job on him and and Jokic killed him. If if you if you have a good defensive plan for a guy and he still kills you, you are one of the best players in the league. And his passing just gets the whole team involved, which naturally, you know, they're gonna cut more, they're gonna rebound more, they're gonna play better defense because they're more involved in the offense. Like we've seen it. That's what a lot of people talk about with point guards is you got to get your teammates involved. Otherwise it's going to be a lot harder for you in other areas. And Jokic does that. He's even had to become more aggressive because he's been too passive in the past. He's been criticized for being too passive. So he is such a good passer that he almost doesn't want to do anything but pass. And now of course he's gotten to the point where he's like, yeah, if I need to score 35 points tonight, I'll do it. And I think he's at a really good level where like he's developed his game enough. He's not like worthless on defense. You know, he's big enough and smart enough where he can do enough. Like he's not a traffic cone out there. He's not Vucevic. You know, he's not like a guy that's just giving up points left and right. Um, but his impact on offense is just so massive that I think he very well could be the best player on a finals team. I think he could be too. I mean, if we were doing this ranking and Murray had stayed healthy all year, I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that he's, we both have him in the top 25 at the very least. (laughs) Like given the run he had in the bubble last year, given the way he was playing in the regular season this year, it wasn't a fluke. This guy can play basketball. Like Murray's a real guy, right? Porter Jr. is a real guy. The Nuggets are going all in, which I appreciate. Like they're going to see if they have it. I think Gordon's a perfect guy to have next to Jokic as well. I'm curious to see Barton, um, this kid they drafted out of VCU, Bones Highland. I think they have a, Jeff Green. They have so many good pieces in Denver. I think they could, 
if Murray comes back, they could win the, not win the championship. I don't think it's even for the West is winning the championship next year, but I think they can make the finals. I really do. I thought they were, I would have had them as the second behind the Clippers. The day of the Murray injury, I think I would have had Clippers one, Nuggets two in terms of teams making the finals in the West and, and how I felt about them. So, I mean, you could say Aiton shut down Jokic in the second round this year, right? Here's what Jokic did. 25, 13, and 6 on 48% from the field. He did not shoot great from the free throw line. He shot 68%. If there's one complaint about Jokic that I have that's not the defense, he's a man of honor, right? He refuses to flop. He is like, I'm going to take this hit like a man. I'm going to, you know... I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to flop. And it works to his detriment because he does not get to the free throw line hardly ever. Right. I would say that's an edge Embiid has over him. Harden has over him. Hell Dame has over him is that he just doesn't get to the line, but he's so good. He makes up for it. And I think he's a, such a great shooter. The lowest points per game he averaged in a playoff series was 22. Right. He's such a playoff killer. He just does, he do everything for you on offense and he's just such a valuable. And when he wants to get to the line, he can. That's the thing about him, right? He has a way of imposing his will. He and Embiid both share this quality is that they both can impose their will. And the only guy that did shut him down is Dwight Howard, who is one of the best athletes ever play basketball. So I think that there's not a lot of guys that can shut him down. And that's, that's kind of the differentiator to me. And plus he, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, he was a deserving MVP this year. No doubt in my mind, he should have won MVP. I mean, the future is bright in Denver and I I'm curious to see how we go, but I, anything else to add about Jokic before we move on to our top five? Nope. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on. Who is your fifth ranked player, Dylan Hughes? Yeah, so this is this is the this is what it's all about, man. This is what we what mm-hmm. we what we do the ninety five for. Um, so I went with Kawhi. This is the range where again you want to talk about getting nitpicky. It's like, huh? Let's see. Let me take this undeniable Hall of Famer that has all of these guys have, have at least one ring. What's what's something that we can criticize about them? You know, it's it's like pretty much impossible to do. Of all of these guys that I have right now, Kawhi Leonard is the one I trust the least probably to win me finals games or get me to the finals in general. Again, I trust him over literally everyone else in the league, but the four guys in front of him, I trust just a little bit more. And... I'm not sure exactly what it is because the isolation scoring is obviously, I don't know. Like, I don't want to say he's better than KD at this point because I don't think he is, but he's right there as far as isolation scoring. And he's also doing that with much less length and fluidity. Like, KD is just such a seamless scorer. Kawhi has built himself into this, and he can score at will. And obviously his defense is amazing. I still, I think ultimately what the criticism from me is probably that he's still not as good of a passer as I would like him to be. I think if he was like, I think him and Paul George kind of need each other because 
Paul George can move the ball a little bit better. And, and you know, Reggie Jackson, like those kind of guys help the offense flow a little bit. Kawhi is just like, give me the ball and I'm going to get, get a bucket. And again, he's one of the best in the league at that. And he's not a bad passer. It's just compared to these other guys, as far as getting other players involved and I just kind of trust them a little bit more than Kawhi. That's fair. Um, I'll go ahead and give my fifth guy. It is not Kawhi Leonard. It is this guy. Might've heard of him. His name's LeBron James. I have him at fifth and I'll tell you the reason why I have him at fifth is just because and I think the way for the five guys, we're just going to give our cases for each guy. We'll just kind of go back and forth talking at each other and then maybe do a little debate at the end. But I feel like we each have the same five guys just in different order. So I feel like we can kind of debate that way. The reason why I have LeBron this low is just because two of the last three seasons for him ended in injury, right? Like 2019-20, he had the unbelievable break. Like, I don't believe in the asterisk talk, right? I think it's foolish. I think, you know, oh, hashtag bubble frauds, you know, whatever, right? Being in the bubble was a real test of mental strength. And LeBron, obviously is a very mentally strong person. My critique of that is that he was magically gifted three months off from the doldrums of the NBA season, right? Like we all agree, March is probably the worst time to be playing basketball. March is probably the worst month for NBA basketball on the whole calendar, right? You're coinciding with the NCAA tournament. If you're getting like really, you're getting almost finished with the season, but you still have like a month to go. It's just really bad basketball for the most part. And I think that he kind of got lucky in that regard, not having to deal with that. He just looked really slow in the Sun series. How much of that was the spacing due to Andre Drummond and others not being able to provide spacing? Who's to say? I just think that he didn't show the normal conviction he has going to the rim. And, you know, he's relying a lot more on the jumper than he used to a lot more. And I think if LeBron isn't getting to the rim, yeah, he's still great because he can do so many things on a basketball court, but he's not LeBron. You know, LeBron's defining characteristic is the un- is the willingness to just constantly attack the rim. And I think that that's just not there anymore. And that's why I have him at five. Who do you have at four? And we'll just, I'm assuming, do you have LeBron at four? Yeah. <laughs> so this makes it easy. Um, I get it. My thing with LeBron is I think he is able to recognize when the team is not going to win and he plays differently. Like look at the Lakers team. The first year he was there, did that injury, that back injury, was that really worth missing? However many games he missed, like it probably wasn't. I think he was like, this is a good time to just chill next year. We'll come back. And I almost feel like last year it was a similar thing where he didn't want to push himself too much because first of all, Anthony Davis was hurt too. And but the roster was just shaky. And he he I think he realizes he's at the age where if he pushes himself too hard, he may have to retire. Like if he pushes himself too hard, it could be an injury that takes so long to recover for someone that's upper thirties that it may just be better to retire. And I almost think he's just taking it easy when he's like, we don't have a great chance against the Suns anyway. Like, let me just 
like lay back here. And I've talked before that he's shooting more. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing because the shots go in <laughs> like some of the three point shots he's hitting. He was not hitting five, 10 years ago. I mean, his, his shot really gets better every year. And I do agree that it's not good for him to rely on that more than getting to the rim. But I also just think that last year may have been a little bit, not of an anomaly, I guess, but LeBron's used to winning. Like he's used to being in he like he knows what winning teams look like. I think he's able to see his team and be like, should I really push myself to this point if we don't have a good shot of winning? Because if we beat Phoenix, we still got to beat three other teams to win this year. And I think maybe that may have been more of what it was last year where he was just kind of taking taking it easy because he knew they didn't have a good shot of winning anyway and kind of preparing for this year. And, I mean, we'll see this year what he does. He With with Westbrook there, he probably is not going to attack the rim as much either because they already have that pressure from Westbrook. But, you know, with him and Kawhi, because that's what it ultimately comes down to for me, is LeBron's done it for his entire career. Like, he he's one of the best passers ever, especially for a player of that size. And... You know, the defense isn't what it used to be and maybe the explosiveness isn't, but just from smart, from a smarts perspective, he's going to be pretty much anyone in the league. And we saw him turn on the defense in the 2020 playoffs, right? Like he was, I mean, in 2020 playoffs, he was basically old LeBron. But again, that was preceded by a couple months of, you know, of rest, which a player at his age could use. And I'm not discounting it, right? Like, I do think... The Rocket series was probably the most impressive series that they played other than the Heat series in that playoffs, I'd say. They kind of rolled through the West. I do think it's funny that LeBron arriving in the West coincides with the weakening of it. <laughs> and not like weakening in terms of like, oh, the West is still pretty strong, right? The Suns are still really good. The Jazz are still pretty good. But the Warriors aren't what they used to be. Um and all the talent, the Spurs aren't what they used to be. The Thunder aren't what they used to be. Like those were constant. Those are playoff constants for the past ten years. You know, the Grizzlies are on, fighting on the way back up, but they're not what they used to be. So, I do think it's funny that he goes west and the East becomes. <laughs> I think we both agree the better conference this year. And I, I'll be curious to see what they have. I have Kawhi at four. Um, <sighs> I just think that right now Kawhi's looking like the way that they both looked in the playoffs before their seasons ended in LeBron's case by losing in Kawhi's case by injury. I thought Kawhi was just looking better. And yeah, Kawhi doesn't have the intangibles that LeBron has in terms of passing, in terms of playmaking, making others better, etc. But I just think that when it comes to scoring, I need a bucket, right? Kawhi proved in the 2019 playoffs he could do it. 2020 was rough. We can all agree for the Clippers. But 2021, he was destroying. He destroyed the Mavericks. He had In the Mavericks series, he averaged like 30 points a game on 60% shooting. <laughs> right? He was going, it was like 62, 45, 90 splits, right? Something like crazy like that. And then in the Jazz series, he was going even more berserk before he tore his ACL. I think that if he comes back 
I would have them as the favorites coming out of the West. I don't trust the Lakers at all. I think the Clippers were the best looking team in the West last year. I just think that he is going to lead them. He is so good with the scoring that he, they, you could plop him right in and he'll be, the Clippers will be just fine personally. And in my opinion, anything, any other last thoughts on Kawhi or LeBron before we move on to our top three? I will say that those two for me could easily swap this year because I mean, Kawhi is going to miss a lot of time, but I've, I've said this a lot. I'm, I'm not sure how much LeBron has left. And that's just like, that's just physicality. Like we were talking pre pod about Tom Brady and everyone talks about how impressive it is that he's 44 and still playing in the NFL, but he never gets hit. Like LeBron is not going to make it to 44. It doesn't matter how much you spend on your body. Basketball is a much more brutal sport than it is for a quarterback that has always had a good offensive line. So LeBron's at that point where the body's like, Hey, like you need to chill. Okay. This isn't fun anymore. Like our cartilage is fucked. The joints are fucked. Like everything is fucked. And again, he's such a great passer and he's so smart that he is going to overcome a lot of that aging but Kawhi's still pretty young and spry, so he very well could could jump right over him uh, this year for me. I mean, you could argue that LeBron's most impressive achievement isn't anything he's done on or off the court so much as not sustaining an ACL or Achilles injury ever in his career. Like, yeah. by the time Kobe hit LeBron's age, Kobe had already had both surgeries, if I'm not mistaken, right? Achilles, Kobe Torrey's Achilles pretty, like, when he was, like, 33 or 34. So, you know, he's had KD Torrey's Achilles, um, and KD obviously came back. Those are the two worst injuries in basketball, bar none. I think we would both agree. But he's had incredible fortune in not doing either of those injuries. But eventually, your joints give out. Right. That just happens when you're doing so much, especially when you jump as much as LeBron does, even in his muted age, right. Even in his muted ages, like 34 through 36 seasons where he's not doing as much, he's still doing chase down blocks. He's still averaging a block or last season. He averaged half a block a game. Like the last three seasons, he's still jumping for blocks sometimes, not all the time. It's down from Miami, but in the playoffs, in the last two playoffs he played before this one, he averaged a block in 0.9 blocks a game. So I don't think, listen, he just might be a freaking alien <laughs> the way his body is, but I, I just don't think it can scientifically hold up. But again, in the interest of time, we must move on. Dylan Hughes, who was your third best player in the NBA? Steph Curry. Me too. So they didn't make the playoffs. But this, he showed last season that he doesn't need Clay Thompson. He doesn't need Draymond to be the best defender in the league. Like, he doesn't need that. He can do it on his own. He's not going to maybe win on his own. He's not going to even make the playoffs because, I mean, we have Draymond higher on our list, but you could probably make an argument that Andrew Wiggins was our second best player last year as far as overall impact. And if your second best player is Andrew Wiggins, I mean, hey, let's just compare it to the Timberwolves. They were much better than the Timberwolves would have been with Andrew Wiggins. So 
I mean, he just showed what what he was capable of, and the fact that that team almost made the playoffs is is just amazing. And I mean, I think last season was his most impressive season ever because the numbers were pretty much the same as they were the year he won unanimous MVP, and he had way less support. So, I mean, he proved like he doesn't he doesn't need an elite team, an elite coaching staff. Like he can, it helps him become the best of, you know, the best he can be, but he doesn't need that to be a great NBA player. And also it kind of proved that he hasn't peaked because I think some people may have thought a few years back he peaked, which is fair. Cause it's not like he's, you know, 25, he's been around a long time. He's suffered injuries, like his physicality, like his body is probably going to start breaking down fairly soon. Because unlike LeBron, he's not some big, massive guy that spends millions of dollars on his body. Like, he's a smaller guy. He is a little bit more fragile. So you would think at some point he's going to start breaking down. But despite that, he is still the best shooter of all time. He's still the best shooter in the league. And when you're shooting at the level of him, it's hard to be worse than much players. And... Let's just go through the numbers last year. So career high, 32 points a game. Um, six assists, five rebounds a game, which is pretty online with what he's been doing the last couple of years. Career high in free throw attempts last year. Got to the line six times a game, 91% from the free throw line. Um, 48% from the field, 42% from three. I mean, <laughs> what are we even doing here? I mean, there's a real shot. Like, that season is just inexplicable <laughs> for a player at 32 years old. Like, it just doesn't – like, 32, most of the time you're like, okay, you're on to the role player stretch of your career. No, he's still got it. And he's going to have it for the next few years. Like, he is just so electric from three. And, yeah, he puts his body through a lot, right? Like, he's a really great screen setter, so he puts his body through a lot of stress that a lot of other players don't. But – I mean, Dylan, you would agree watching them last year, he did a lot of damage inside the arc too. It wasn't just like all, you know, he took like, <laughs> let's just do some quick math here. Like more than 60% of his shots from three. So yeah, it wasn't a whole lot. But that's because he was taking 13 threes a game. <laughs> just an outrageous number. He was taking 13 threes a game in 2000. 16, he was taking 11. <laughs> so he was just doing a lot more from beyond the arc, but he did more from inside of the arc too. The touch from floater range was there, getting to the rim more. I just think that you put Clay, if Clay is 50% of Clay and Draymond's last year's Draymond, maybe a little worse, they're going to be just fine and they'll probably be a top four seed in the West. Like, I'll be curious to see, we're going to do our ceilings next week. I'll be curious to see what we're feeling on the Warriors, but. The fact that they made the playoffs with a six-man rotation and one of those six guys was Michael Mulder <laughs> was an impressive feat in and of itself, right? I just think that the team, yeah, he didn't lead the team to the playoffs last year, but he didn't stop trying. He went down with the ship, and I have to give him credit for that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was a season he needed because there's been a lot of people that have kind of tried to knock him down a little bit mostly LeBron fans LeBron fans they hate KD they hate Steph 
because they took titles from him. And people have tried to knock Steph for years. And, you know, at that time, you could be like, well, it's almost like a Brady in the Patriot system where it's like Brady is undeniably awesome. But without seeing him in another system, can we really say it wasn't the system? You know, that, that was kind of an argument that we had with not, not everyone, but some people had with Brady. And then he went to Tampa Bay and crushed it. And it's like, all right, he didn't need the system. And actually, he may be better without it. And I think it was kind of the same with Curry last year where he's like, does he really need the second best shooter of all time right next to him and also the best defender in the league to win? And that's what LeBron fans and, and some just other people were saying. And last season, he kind of proved like, yeah, he didn't win because the team sucked. I would love to see LeBron with that same team. I think you'd have a similar result. I guess actually 2018, it basically was that. And I mean, he killed it. He was, again, basically peak of his powers despite not having almost any reliable help. So it was this, I think it was a, a really important season for his legacy not to like talk too much about legacy while he's still playing, but I mean, I think it was huge for him and it definitely for me and I'm sure a lot of other people definitely gave him like a pretty, not a huge bump because he's like a top 10 player no matter what. But I mean, you could fluctuate between him being, you know, top six and, and top one, but I think he definitely cemented himself as, as um, a top three guy right now. I agree. It's a perfect way to wrap that up. Um, who's your second best player in the NBA? So this is Giannis for me. And me too. Yeah, I had a feeling. Um, so Giannis, at a time, we were saying he was the best player in the league, and that was so premature. Now there's an actual argument for it. And I'm going to give credit to Bud but I'm also going to give credit to us because I think we figured it out before Bud. So that's a pat on the back for us. The fact that we're getting zero recognition from anyone in the world about this is just really hurtful. I mean, again, we talked about Giannis needing to play like Shaq since January and they won the finals doing it. So if we have to live in our own, um, praise I guess that's fine that's what we're gonna have to do but I just need to put that out there for the not the last time I'm definitely gonna talk about it again but it's it's something that we can't forget um, our impact on the on the league but I mean Giannis like he was the best player on a finals team this this top five six the top five as I mentioned that's what this this is best player in a finals team and Middleton deserves a ton of credit. Holiday deserves a ton of credit. Pat Connaughton deserves a ton of credit. But Giannis was, he killed Aiton, who was awesome in the playoffs. He, he basically muted everything the Suns had to throw at them. He was so dominant on both ends of the floor. They could do nothing. They, had a, they have a great defensive center. They have a, he's pretty good on offense, too. He got to a point where he he couldn't do anything against Giannis. Like Giannis almost scared him out of doing anything, even trying to do anything. I mean, he was just so dominant. He's he's his flaw, of course, is not shooting and or not being a good shooter. 
and they put him in a position where he didn't need to shoot. So you take that one flaw out of his game and he dominates in everything else. So I don't really have anything to add that you didn't add. Um, 15, 17, 15, 16, and five in the deciding game is pretty, or was it 14? 15, 14, and five blocks in a deciding game. I mean, what else do you need to say, right? I mean, he brought it when it mattered most. Um, I'll, I'll just add this, though. You brought up the shooting, and it's not the three-point shooting that matters to me. It's the mid-range shooting. And in the 18-19 playoffs, when, if you remember, he had a pretty famous meltdown against the, uh, the Raptors that year because they were able to form the wall. So he shot 20% from floater range and 28% from long mid-range. And he only shot 59 mid-range shots that year, right? This year, he shot 43% from floater range and 39% from long mid-range. He took 139 long jumpers this year. And that, to me, is the biggest difference in his game. He actually has an in-between game. I think the in-between game for a big guy it's probably more important than the the three-point game. And yeah, he's going to get driving lanes, right? Like, because he can make his own. And yeah, it's going to suck that they're playing off of him when he's at the three-point line. But if he can make mid-range jumpers and he can make his free throws, it doesn't matter, right? That's all there is to it. And yeah, his free throw shooting was bad in the playoffs, but in what, again, in when it mattered most, 17 and 19. So... I think there's a real chance he's the best player. We consider him the best player in the league next year, even if the Nets win the championship. Like, he might become... He might average 35 points a game next year. (laughs) It's a little hyperbolic. He might average 32 points a game next year. I could really see it, just based on the interior presence alone. I think that... um, I just think that there's a next level he can get to. So, for, for our next player, I'll go ahead and say who it is. There's no one else it would be, except Alexei Pokashevsky. Um, it's obviously Kevin Durant. Why do you have Kevin Durant as your best player in the league, Bill Hughes? I mean, we got a little bit of a taste last season of, of the presence this guy has. And, I mean, look what he did to that Warriors team. He took them from being pretty much evenly matched with LeBron James to being so much better than them that the Cavaliers made it as well, not even showed up. Like he was, he, like we knew he was that good and he proved it. And he, I think he needed to prove it to a lot of people because he hadn't um, made it to the finals before that. And I know a lot of people still won't give him the credit because he joined, you know, a team that was just 73 and nine. But I think he's going to prove in Brooklyn this year just how good he is. And he, he really already did last year. I mean, he offensively, I really am fascinated to see how the discussion ends up going down. I think it's going to be hard for him to surpass MJ as the best offensive player ever and the best scorer ever, but he's damn close. I mean, he is, he's so good from all levels of the floor. He's a great passer. Like he's, he, he's got a pull-up game. He's got a post game. Like, he is just so dominant on offense. And defensively, he's so long. It's like he barely even has to try and he can make an impact. So, he he is like the ultimate – I don't know if it's ceiling raiser or floor raiser, but, like, his impact is very easily measurable because when you take him off the floor, it's a whole different story. 
And in the long storied career of Kevin Durant, which is his, it's his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Kevin. Happy birthday, Kevin. Um, he, this was the series against the Bucks was his highest scoring in his NBA career. He completely took over that series. He was by far the best player in that series. Giannis even said it himself, right? Giannis said that Kevin Durant was the best player in the world. He shot 49% from the field on some of the hardest shots you can get, right? Like the bumps, the bucks are bumping him. The bumps were bucking him. Um, the bucks were bumping him, trying to get him off his spots. Hand in his face didn't matter. He could get anything he wants, right? KD has holes in his game, right? Like he's not the best defender. He's not the best passer. What's the difference with KD is he's so good at scoring that literally nothing else matters, right? He can get 28 with the easiest, like, with just with such ease that it doesn't even matter, right? He had 53 points in a playoff game, I'm pretty sure. One of the games he had 53, or I don't remember. He had two massive games in the Buck series, right? Two massive games. I'm going to look it up. He had 49 in one of the games in the buck series just and then he had 48 and if his foot was like this much smaller they would have made the finals they would have won the finals probably just because kevin durant is that great and that to me is makes you the best player in the league where your talent alone can make you a champion like the thunder weren't the thunder teams weren't that great like after harden left you know, Kevin Martin, Enos Cantor, um, Stephen Adams. Like Stephen Adams is good. No, no disrespect to Mr. Adams, but Serge Ibaka started to fall off. They didn't have that much talent after Harden left, and they still, you know, were a conference title, conference final threat every single year, right? Obviously, bringing them to Golden State pushed them over the top even more than they already had. So, Kevin Durant. You brought up floor raiser and ceiling raiser. He's both like he can raise your floor. If you put him on a bad team and if you put him on a great team, you're going to odds are you're going to win the title. So I think he's the reason the Nets are title favorites. You brought up the Nets could maybe miss Kyrie or Harden and win the finals. Still, they can't win the finals if they're missing Kevin Durant or it's a lot harder. I'll say you can't replace Kevin Durant. You can get facsimiles of Harden and you can get facsimiles of Irving. It's not going to be like one-to-one. But, you know, maybe like half of what they can do or like a quarter. You can't replace Kevin Durant. He's just that pure of a scorer. P.J. Tucker was valuable to the Bucks only for the net series, <laughs> if that's any indication. So I think that KD is by far the best player in the league. I mean, not by far. Him and Giannis are by far the two best. I don't really think it's close. Any other thoughts on KD before we wrap for the day? Well, I'll just say that, you know, with the, with the final thing, like it's not. I think that I think the Nets could win with Harden and Kyrie because they have pretty good depth. Like it's not like the Lakers where if AD goes down, they're they may not even win a playoff series. Like the Nets, they could very well at least make the finals without KD. But the problem is, especially in the East, is losing losing Kyrie and Harden. It's like okay, that's just one less guy for Holiday to guard, you know. But Losing KD, like that's the guy they used to match Giannis, and it's the same story on the other side. If the Bucks lost Giannis, like they they would be much better off losing Holiday or Middleton. Like they could survive, but without Giannis, they're done. And I kind of look at the Nets the same way, where yeah, like maybe maybe Kyrie and Harden could like try to outscore them, 
but just that physical presence of, of Kevin Durant and the gravity he has as a scorer, I think you need that to beat a team like the Bucks or even like a revamped Philly team with Embiid and someone else, you know, like you need someone to kind of match that big presence. And without KD, the, it's a lot tougher for the Nets. Again, I think they could do it because again, Harden and Kyrie are awesome and they are top 15 players for me and they have great depth. They have Bruce Brown. I mean, that's obviously the depth you need right there, but Patty Mills, you know, like they have, they have guys, um, but you take KD out of the mix and it's a lot tougher. And I think that's a perfect way to wrap up our top 100. This was a hell of an exercise still in Hughes. We did a lot, um, but it was worth it. I'd say I had a lot of fun, Um, but the season starts in less than a month. So we're, we're pretty close to the season starting. Um, We're going to move on to our team previews next week. We're going to start doing the over-unders or not over-unders, sorry, the ceilings and the floors. So make sure you check that out. Um, We're going to do the Western conference next week. I'm going to be off the next week. So we'll Dylan and I'll be off um, the week of the 11th, but the week after we're going to do our Eastern conference preview and hopefully those will be fun. Um, Dylan, what do you got coming up on the divine rhyme? So we got Kendrick. Uh, we didn't record on Monday like we planned because uh, Will's been busy with some stuff and we got to be prepared. You know, we can't come and wing this stuff. We got to have a great discussion. So we're planning that on Friday um, and it's going to be a fun, fun time with Kendrick. We're going to have some guests. We may or may not have both uh, members of the power hour on there at some point. Got to keep an eye on that. Uh, Will has a friend that wants to come on and discuss an album. So we've got, we've got the game coming out, man. We've got everyone. Everyone wants to be on the pod. Even Kendrick actually reached out. He might want to get on. We're not sure if we have room for him. So we'll have to figure that one out, but yeah, it's going to be a fun time. Make sure you check that out. Um, I'm not going to go over the top for the book preview today because I don't frankly have the time. But um, remind me, what's the name of the book again? Because I I just keep forgetting. (laughs) No pressure, finding happiness in a fear driven world. Please just buy the book. I mean, I'm not going to go over the top today. Come on, just just do it for us. Um, Make sure you check out Circle City Cinema. Last week, we did a superhero movie draft. That was really fun. Make sure you go listen to that. Um, Triple Option Pass had an awesome week three preview. Make sure you week four preview. Make sure you check that out. Um, Circle City Cinema or Circle City Cinema, Lynn Sanity is actually going to be dropping the same day we are. So make sure you listen to that. Um, they'll be discussing the last week in NFL action. Caleb Lynn is back. So make sure you listen to that. And then, uh, yeah, that's about everything. So Dylan Hughes, this was a long one, but a great one. Thank you once again for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.